Hi, I'm Daniel, and you're listening to Time in the Word on Faith FM. Today I'm here with Joe, and we're at the Seventh-day Adventist Big Camp in Devonport, Tasmania. How are you going today, Joe? Pretty good, mate. Yeah, that's great. I'm really excited about studying God's Word with you today. We're going to be studying Matthew chapter 27, verse 32 to 54. You want to say a little prayer for us before we begin? Sure. Uh, dear Lord, thanks for bringing us here together today, and uh, let us dive into your Word and learn a little bit more about you and what you want us to do in this world. Cheers, God. Amen. Amen. That's awesome, man. Can you read the uh, first few verses for us, buddy? Read uh, maybe 32 to 34. I'm reading from the American Standard Version. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to go with them, that he might bear his cross. And when they came unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking about some of the stuff that's happened before this. You know, Jesus has been through this trial, and he's been whipped, they've condemned him, and they've thrown this cross on his shoulders, and as he begins to drag it up the hill, it seems like even to the people that are tormenting him, even the soldiers, he can't do it. And they pull this guy up, and they throw this cross on his shoulders, this guy Simon. It's funny because, you know, we hear about Jesus bearing our burdens, but this guy gets to bear a burden for Jesus. It's kind of cool, hey? To be just standing there in the crowd and to be selected like that would be not only frightening, but probably a, a great, I guess, depending on the mood of this particular Simon at that time, he might have not wanted to do it or he might have been very glad to do it. Mm. Let's hope he was very glad to do it. Well, what's really cool is that this isn't the last time we hear about Simon, actually, is that uh, he actually turns up in the book of Acts as a church planter, and uh, his two sons became pastors. So it seems like whoever Jesus was to him when he was walking into Jerusalem, when this happened to him, he was never the same again. It actually changed his life. Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me, you know, and this guy really literally took the cross. Hey, um, how would you like to read, man, from uh, 35 down to 38? And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments amongst them, casting lots. And they sat and watched him there. And they set up over his head this accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then they crucified with him two robbers, one on the right hand and one on the left hand. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyed the temple and buildest in three days, save thyself. If thou art the Son of God, come down from the cross. In like manner, also, the chief priest mocking him, with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe on him. He trusteth on God. Let him deliver him now, if he desireth him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers also that were crucified with him cast upon him the same reproach. As I think about my Lord hanging on the cross, and I think about the fact that it was for me, you know, it really is something that touches my heart. But what's really amazing about this is all of this stuff we just read was predicted by David hundreds of years before any of it even happened. In Psalm chapter 22, you can read through, and all of these things were predicted as things that were going to be happening to the Messiah. He's going to be treated as a criminal. He was going to be uh, yelled at. He was going to be scoffed and beaten and all of that. Have you ever studied the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament before? Not as well as I should have. 
but should get in and do some more study because it's very easy to slip out of the habit. The details of Jesus' life are just so accurately predicted throughout the Old Testament and Matthew's really pointing to some of this here. So I really believe that Jesus still had the access to the power of God here and as they're doing all of this, he really could have called on some lightning bolt or on angels or whatever. If that was you, do you reckon you would have had the strength to go through what he went through? I'd like to say yes, but I think I would probably have brought the lightning bolt down and zapped a few of them. But um, that's not in the Christ-like manner, but that's in the human nature. Yeah, that's right. I, I think that I'm the same, but the thing about Jesus is, I guess, that he had you and I on his mind, and that's kind of what got him through it all. He's thinking, if I can just hang out and get through this, then I'll be able to save Joe, and it'll all be worth it. And be able to save Daniel, it will be worth it. Let's read on, shall we? How would you like to read for me from verse 45 to verse 49? Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood there, when they heard it, said, This man calleth Elijah. And straight away one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed or a stick and gave it to him to drink. And the rest said, Let us see whether Elijah cometh to save him. And Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Yeah, just picture the scene and you can see that even creation must have been groaning. The angels must have been weeping. And in this moment when the Son of God finally meets the end of his human life here, But even so, even these passages, Matthew's still showing how this fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament because verse 46, those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a direct quotation from Psalm 22, 1, that prophecy that predicted the Messiah. So even in death, he's still showing who he is. It's a powerful thing, hey? I'm going to read on from verse 50 down to verse 53, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Then Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Did you know that that happened when Jesus died? I think that's a very easily forgotten fact that he was not the only one that was resurrected around that time. It must have been quite an experience for all the people that were in Jerusalem at that time to have people from who knows how long ago resurrected and walking amongst them, telling everybody the good news that Jesus was there to save them. Yeah, it must have been just a powerful moment and we do underestimate it and it highlights how silly it was that some of those religious leaders were trying to come up with stories after he rose from the dead as to how he didn't really and and to spread that around. What's really important, it's a detail that seems even less important than that resurrection but actually I think is the most important thing of all is in verse 51. It says, at that moment the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Do you know much about the sanctuary, how that worked with the curtains and so forth? I haven't thought about the exact layout of the sanctuary for a little while, but from memory the sanctuary was fairly high. It was it would have been in the order of 10 metres, so it would have been quite a curtain just to have torn in two by you know invisible angels and not to mention the earthquakes and, and the general darkness that was happening at the time. It would have been 
an awe-inspiring moment for anybody that was in the immediate vicinity. Mm. Oh, definitely. And actually, we find out from a historian named Josephus that every so many years, I think it was every Jubilees, every 70 years, that actually add a layer of material to that curtain. And over the years, over the hundreds of years of them doing that, it had gotten thicker and thicker, and it was, it was almost half a metre thick by the time this took place. So it wasn't just your average little veil at all. You know, it was something that was almost as thick as, let's say, your waist or whatever. So a real miracle... With the sanctuary layout, what would happen is, as a worshipper, you would come to the gate of the temple and, you know, you would bring your animal to be sacrificed for your forgiveness. And as you looked in, you looked through those gates, you'd see a whole bunch of places where you weren't allowed to go. Only priests were allowed into the first part of the temple, which was called the holy place. And so, for you looking in there, you'd be seeing a closed door. But you knew that beyond that closed door, there's another closed door. Because beyond the holy place, in fact, there's the most holy place. And only the priests are allowed in the holy place, but only the high priest is allowed in the most holy place, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. As a worshipper in that system, you're seeing all of these closed doors between you and God, all of these veils, all of these separation. And you knew God was in there somewhere, but there was really too many walls between you and Him to be able to speak to Him face to face. So the significance of that curtain being torn open at the moment of Jesus' death When you get to Revelation, every time John sees the sanctuary in heaven in the book of Revelation, he says, I saw the door open, and he's looking right into the very throne room of God. So what Jesus did for us is that he broke down that separation between God and man that happened at sin, and he tore it apart so that uh, we have real access to God's throne. And the author of Hebrews actually says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy and grace in time of need. Yeah, that's awesome, hey? It really changes the dynamic, and for people living then, it would have changed the dynamic immensely from being the priest system and and the tabernacle to being able to just talk to God, not face-to-face, maybe face-to-face, but in that time, a huge change, and then one day in heaven, would love to hear the stories from people that lived Well, actually, there is actually one story right now, right at this moment, the very first thing that happened when this amazing moment when Jesus died and and removed all that separation between God and man, we find a testimony for someone that was a non-believer, a non-Jew, right there at the foot of the cross. Do you want to read verse 54 for us, just to read that testimony? Sure. Verse 54. Now the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were done, feared exceedingly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Now, what's amazing about that is that we find out in the New Testament that believing that Jesus is the Son of God, putting that faith in him, is actually what gets us salvation. And you think about these soldiers at the foot of the cross, they have literally just nailed Jesus to the cross. They were his tormentors. They were the ones that were nailing him there and were doing all these terrible things, spitting on him. Scripture in Isaiah says he hid not his face from shame and spitting and his cheeks from those who plucked off the hair. They treated him terribly and yet when they saw how he died, they realized who he was. And I really believe that this is an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed as they were torturing him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they see him, they see who he is, and they in fact express faith in him and in who he is. And even as Jesus is dying at his lowest point, he's still saving people. It's amazing. And the great thing is when I look at this story as I read it, I actually see myself in those soldiers' shoes. I don't know if you know this about me, Joe, but I was in the army for five years. So I identify with some of those soldiers there in the Bible. And, you know, I know the things that I've done, you know, that have, I guess, let God down and hurt God. 
and they've broken his heart and it's me, you know, I'm the one there that was involved in his torture. And yet when I just look to his cross in faith, even though I don't know anything and I just believe, I know that I've got forgiveness and access to that throne because of what he did for me at the cross. It's a special thing to understand this gospel, isn't it? I think on on that day that Jesus was crucified, there was more people converted to the faith than there was in probably any other period of Jesus's life. There might have been more people there scorning and mocking, but I think when all was said and done, there was a lot of people with not only a lot of questions, but with a lot of answers. Very moving day for a lot of people who would have considered themselves atheists or totally against everything that Christianity stood for. That's so true. And look, we've come to the end of our time now, but we could really study this story for the rest of our lives, really, and not get the fullness of the meaning. But I just want to thank you, Joe, for hanging out with me today and studying this really powerful scripture. Would you like to close with prayer for us? Absolutely, Daniel. Dear Lord, again, thank you for bringing us here as mates, as friends, as um, colleagues. We struggle, Lord, to understand the words sometimes in the Bible, but the more we look at them, the more we read them, and especially when we're gathered together, we help each other to understand and to learn from you. So as we go forward, help us to remember the words from the Bible, God, and to live by them. In uh, your name, amen. Amen. Thanks, mate. Well, you've been listening to Daniel and Joe, and this has been Time in the Word on Faith FM. Faith FM.